But my name is uh, Jeff. I'm one of the leaders for our young adult group here, Steadfast. We meet on Friday. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And I enjoy it. But tonight, um, we're going to talk about spiritual fog, navigating through spiritual fog. And I remember as a kid, we would take these road trips. We would take the I-5 to the 99, and we would go up to Tulare. We would go up to Fresno. I had some grandparents that lived up in Tulare. I had some uncles and aunts that lived in Fresno. It's about a three-hour to four-hour drive. And we would be listening to K-Earth 101, the oldie station. It's not really oldies anymore. It's like 80s or 90s. It's kind of weird you listen to it, but those are some fond memories of mine, and one of the things, as we would be driving, my dad would always talk about the fog, right? Has anybody ever been on the the 99 or driven up California on the 5 or or 99? Well, he, he would talk about this notorious fog, this fog that would hinder drivers and cause these multi-car pileups. In fact, I was, as I was reading about Highway 99, it, um, one, study or one, yeah, one study showed that it is the most deadliest route in the nation. It's the most fatalities for that stretch in the nation. And I remember as a kid, we would drive through patches so thick that you couldn't even see the taillights in front of you. You would, you would lose people. And sometimes you wouldn't even be able to tell. You were even driving on the freeway. You didn't know if you were driving in the ditch or driving on the pavement. We would have to slow way down. And yet we knew that you couldn't stop. Because if you stopped, somebody could collide into you. Other people, they, they didn't slow down. It seemed like it was a challenge for them to speed up. They would speed through it recklessly, not even being able to see 15, 20 feet in front of you. Needless to say, it was perilous. And once I grew up and, and drove through some fog of my own, I realized, wow, like, this is dangerous. This is scary to be on a road and nobody can see where you're going or, or how far you've traveled or you can't see anything. But tonight, like I was saying, I want to talk to you try about navigating through spiritual fog. As believers in Christ, there, are, there seems to be seasons that mark our journey. There are times of harvest and there are times of rest. There's times where God is working rapidly and other times where he's almost silent. Times of growth and times of pruning. Times of steadiness where we think things are always the same and always going to stay the same way. And other times of transition, times of newness. And lastly, there's times of great clarity, of great vision, and times of fogginess where it's hard to make out where you're going or where God is leading you or even being able to, to hear him. Paul writes about this, the same thing in, in 1 Corinthians 12. This is the message I like how it captures it. He says, we don't see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us. Knowing him directly, just as he knows us. It occurred to me 
while studying this passage that even Jesus' disciples, who spent three years with them, didn't always see clearly. In fact, they had difficulty understanding and, and perceiving his plan. They didn't get it. And that, that's a big relief. Is that a relief to anybody here? That, you know, it's okay if you don't understand it all. It's okay if you are confused or you're like, God, what are you doing? I don't, I don't understand what you're doing with my life. That's completely normal. Let me tell you that. Even for leaders in this church, sometimes they're like, God, where are you leading this church? Or what are you doing? You know, but maybe we're just, yeah, we're, we're in the same boat with you guys. But we're going to be in John tonight, and you're going to see that in the passage. We're in John 16, 25 to 33. And I'm, I'm going to read that for us just all the way through, and I'm going to talk about each, each one of the verses. And, yeah, if you guys want to stand with me to honor God's word. If you're, so you can follow along in your own Bible or up on screen. This is the Holman Christian Standard I'm using tonight. He says, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. I'm not telling you that I will make requests to the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into this world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Ah, his disciples said, now you're speaking plainly, not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Look, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his home and you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Amen. Father, we pray tonight, Lord. We pray tonight. I pray for those of us who are in a spiritual fog, Lord, that they would make it through, Lord. That they would hold on to you, that they would trust you, God, and, and that your word tonight would would penetrate through clouds of darkness or, or doubt or, or anything that they're facing in their life, God, and that you will get them through this time to see you face to face. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. You guys may be seated. So some of the main talking points of the night, if you guys want to roll Matt, is we're going to talk about spiritual fog other points is the, the privilege of praying directly to the Father. Jesus covers that. And lastly, enduring suffering courageously. Probably not a very popular point, but a good one. And in our opening verse, Jesus, he tells us plainly. Verse 25 says, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but will tell you plainly about the Father. I remember we were going through the Gospel of John in our youth group. It was at Jeff's old house on Truman. And we're watching the Gospel of John movie. And one of the girls in the group, she was like, why is Jesus talking so weird? 
And we heard, when we, she said it, it almost like offended me. I'm like, what do you mean? And then I realized like, yeah, like he's so mysterious. Like, why does he just speak things plainly? Why, why, does, he have to be, why does it always have to be so veiled or, or so mystic? Or it seems like he's talking around a lot of things all the time. And I was thinking about that today. Do you ever wonder why Jesus spoke in parables and figures of speech? There's, there's many reasons. And I'm not going to cover all of them, but one of the reasons is to illustrate a moral truth. I mean, he could have said something, but sometimes when you share a story, it lends, it lends very powerfully to, to something that is true. Think of the prodigal son and, and, and God's grace in that story. That story is so powerful. It helps us understand his, his grace. What about to describe the kingdom of God, to describe the invisible? God will use common things to describe his kingdom, things that we're familiar with on the earth. Also, to make his word memorable. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have uh, the Gutenberg Press. They didn't have a common distrib- or, I mean, a mass distribution of Bibles. And so people would tell stories to be able to remember things better. In fact, that's how people throughout the ages would pass down traditions and, and history. They would share these stories. It's quite amazing what the human brain can do or what it could do before, before computers, right? Now we just rely on our phones and it's like our second brain. But back then, there's some stories that have gone 5,000, 10,000 years old, which have been passed down, which is amazing. It's amazing to think that that could be done. And lastly, the reason why is to invite us into deeper revelation. Sadly, there are some people that weren't really interested in following Jesus. They would, when, when they would sit and listen to him, they would just simply hear a story about a farmer going out to, to sow seeds. And they would miss the underlying meaning, right? They would get home and like, oh, what did the great teacher say? Like, oh, something about, you know, throwing seeds and planting seeds and harvesting. Just, you know, boring story. They would miss the underlying meaning. In fact, Jesus' disciples, they would oftentimes, after he would teach, they would pull him aside and they would ask him, like, Jesus, what did you, what did you, what did you mean by this story? Like, we don't get it. They would do that all the time because they had a hard time understanding. They struggled understanding his true nature. They understood. Uh, had a hard time understanding his words, even his plan of salvation. They, even t- until the end, they did not fully get what he w- came here to do, that he was going to die and that he was going to resurrect and return to the Father. Now, what about us? Don't you guys wish that God would sit you down, maybe he could do it video because a lot of us are you know, visual people, that he would just simply explain in plain English or maybe in a movie reel, what is going to happen in your life? Just everything that's going to happen in your life. Wouldn't that be amazing if God could just do that? It would just clear the room of everything, of any doubt. And yet, even though we would all like that, the problem is, is that you wouldn't understand it. And maybe you might mess it up, right? I think sometimes God, he, he only gives us a little bit. He only allows us to see just enough so that we don't get ahead of him and get ourselves into trouble, right? I mean, if you knew the ending of, of your, like, there was this king, I forget what his name was, I think it was Hezekiah, and he was dying, he was sick, and he prays that God would extend his life, 
And when he gets his life extended, I, I forget what exactly he does, but he kind of makes a huge mistake. And I wonder, like, man, like, maybe it would have been better if he just would have died. You know, he wouldn't have, have made a, such a great mistake. I don't know how that relates, but it is interesting. But at our table, I want you guys to talk about this. You know, maybe, maybe you're in a spiritual fog right now. Maybe you've been through it. How do you navigate through times of spiritual fog, which is not seeing clearly. And we'll spend the next couple minutes with that. Okay. So the question was, how do you navigate through times of spiritual fog, of not seeing clearly? I have six things that, that came to, to my mind. There's, you probably got more than that. Number one, seems like a no-brainer, but don't stop. In the same way as you're driving through a fog, you're not supposed to stop. You're supposed to keep going. Even though visibility is limited, you, you want to continue. Remember, what, remember in the dark what God spoke to you in the light. Number two, hold fast to his promises. For me, I have a, a journal that I like to keep. I, I, uh, I write down things that people have spoken over my life, whether a prophetic word or a promise or something that I felt God impressed upon me. I do this occasionally. I even have recordings of people speaking or praying over me. And sometimes I'll go back and I'll just listen to them, you know, multiple times when, I'm, when I feel like I'm in a, in a time where I'm not really understanding where God, what he's doing in my life. Maybe you, you do uh, other things. Maybe you have a life verse or or something like that. Uh, declarations even. I, if some of you guys use declarations, declare over your, your life. And so hold fast to those promises. Number three, deal with clouds of doubt. Doubt siphons your spiritual bank account faster than anything else. Doubt is really a killer. And yet we all have it. But it's how you deal with it. Right? It's, it's how you deal with doubt. Personally, what I like to do, I like to journal. I like to journal my, my thoughts, my emotions, even my unbelief. And, and see what, how God responds to that. Right? I'll, I'll journal and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, just pray and ask God, like, how do you see this situation? Or how do you see me in this situation? Or how do you see my life in that as well? I'll actually... Because a lot of times we're afraid of it, you know, and we don't want to admit it. But I think a lot of times, you know, Jesus wants to help our unbelief if we admit it. He'll help us overcome that obstacle in our life. Another thing I've learned from a book called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote in this book, he says, don't listen to yourself, but speak to yourself. In our society today, we elevate our emotions and our desires and thoughts so highly, and we, we think that they're supposed to be our leaders. Your emotions don't, are not supposed to lead you. The Holy Spirit is. And so one thing I'm learning to do, I'm not good at this yet, but instead of just listening to yourself, speak to yourself. Speak to yourself God's words. Memorize scripture. Instead of just that, you know, that voice in your head that wants to complain or wants to, you know, woe is me, all this stuff, like, we have, to, we have to learn to lead ourselves in faith. Number four is trust God in the process. Weakness before God is a good thing. Because weakness before God is a, is a strength. When we're weak, he is strong in us. 
This waiting process builds perseverance, character, and hope like nothing else. Anybody like waiting in here? I don't think anybody does. But God uses this to refine and to test our character to grow us. And there's no shortcut to waiting in life. Number five is worship. Worship restores the joy of our salvation to us. In fact, I think worship, when you can learn to worship God and when you're in a, a spiritual fog, it is one of the great tools, one of the great character builders because it takes the eyes off of your circumstances and takes them or places them on God. Also, I forgot to include in here, but I, I heard this from a lady. She said that, you know, she was complaining to God and, and God said to her, like, don't take ownership over your circumstances. We tend to personalize our circumstances and we, and we hold on to them rather than realizing that, that this too will pass. Your circumstances are not going to stay the same unless you're holding on to them. So try not to do that, right? Try not to personalize those things and, and make them your own. Number six, don't neglect the fellowship of believers. It is better to struggle in the house of God where there is hope, where there is encouragement, than to struggle on your own in the world. There's nothing the world is going to offer you. You can, yeah, you can go out there, you can do whatever, but there's no hope. There's, there's no encouragement. There's nothing out there for you. And so it's better to struggle in the house of God than any place else. And if that's you tonight, I'll pray for you. We'll pray for you tonight. There, those are some ways that we can navigate through times of a spiritual fog. There's probably more. I'm sure you guys shared um, some amazing things at your table. If you had something that I missed, I would love to hear it. But remember that you're not alone. All of us, we have times of doubt. We have times of wrestling. We have times of confusion, and yet we keep moving forward. We keep going forward and pursuing God. It's like a race. We have to make it to the end. And moving on in, in verse 26, Jesus tells us this wonderful truth, this privilege of praying directly to the Father in his name because the Father loves us as he loved Jesus. He says in, in 26, in that day you will ask in my name. I'm not telling you that I will make requests to Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. This is one of the greatest privileges that we have as believers in the new covenant. Sometimes we don't appreciate this because we, none of us have lived under the Old Testament law. None of us lived in Israel and understand or understood what it meant to be a Jew living under the old covenant. But the, touching on this, this can go, I don't want to go too deep into this, but the Hebraic concept of God was shaped around a mediator or a priest who would offer sacrifices and enter God's presence on your behalf. For example, I have this picture of, from uh, the Ten Commandments of, of Moses right there. You know, Moses, he got to speak to God face to face. He got to go onto the top of Mount Sinai and have this amazing relationship with God. But guess what? Everybody else had said if anybody got close to the mountain, they would, they would die. They would be stoned to death. And so he represented God to people. He would go up and hear from God and, and come down and he would do that. And, and 
also, if you, if you wanted, if you were a king or someone in the Old Testament, if you wanted to get a word from God, you'd go to a prophet, right? And ask, like, have them inquire of the Lord for you or have them get a dream for you. You couldn't just go to God directly. Also, when they, when they created the Ark of the Covenant, it was crafted that God's presence would rest on this ark and they would place it behind the veil in the, in the Holy of Holies. And one day of year on Yom Kippur, which means Day of Atonement, the high priest would undergo so many different rituals and cleansings just to enter the Holy of Holies. And in fact, the high priest, when they went in, he would burn incense because the incense would create a smoke in the Holy of Holies so that he couldn't or that they couldn't see God face to face because he would die. That'd be what a crazy job, you know. I'm glad I didn't have that job, not knowing if I was going to live or die by seeing God. And so when Jesus is saying this stuff, when he's telling them this amazing revelation that you can go directly to the Father, they, they're probably thinking all this. You know, they were used to this old system of cleansings and rituals and laws and, and purification in order to appear before God and then even having the Levites, the sons, the descendants of Aaron who, who would mediate between them and God or the prophets that would mediate between God and man. All, they, they had this in mind and yet Jesus is telling them under the new covenant that we can go straight to the Father. We can go straight to the Father because Jesus is our high priest forever. What amazes me, though, and some people even said it to me, or I don't know if it's the way that they said it or the way that they look, but, you know, there's people in this church and in other churches that actually believe that, that ministers or pastors or leaders have a greater relationship with God than they do. That they, they actually think that, oh, well, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, or you're, you know, if you serve that you actually have like this greater like favor or leadership with God. It's very strange, but so many people believe it. And they're like, oh man, I wish I could have that, the same relationship with God that you do. And I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, are we still living under the old covenant? Like, wait a minute, like don't you have the Holy Spirit? Doesn't it say right here that you can go to God, that you can offer a request to God without any mediator except for when you pray in Jesus' name? That amazes me, and yet, we, as, as New Covenant believers, we kind of create a new legalism, right? We, we've been set free from the law of Moses. We've been set free from, from many of the, 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 the laws, the adherences, the traditions, all those things. And yet, in, in many ways, we create uh, like a New Covenant version of the Old Testament. Like, we, we create all these, you know these things or rituals or traditions or almost like rules, right? Like these unwritten rules that we create to think that they're going to actually help us, that they're actually make us more spiritual in some sense. And I realize that. I realize that we, we place standards on ourselves that God does not place on us, that we've kind of even almost kept the old covenant system alive by, you know, raising up these Super, I call them like these celebrity pastors and leaders that we think like, oh, wow, like they're so amazing. They're like, you know, they're, they're, they're better than me and, and whatnot. But I want you guys to know you can go to God 
straight. You can go straight to the Father. And that's better than anything else. It's better than what any leader or person can do, that you cultivate and build that relationship with God. Moving on, we continue our passage in verse 28. Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Ah, his disciples said, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know... Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus responds to him, do you now believe? And so Jesus has been alluding to his departure in, for a while now. Yet his disciples, they don't get it. They, they can't comprehend it because they're thinking, you know, he's going to be, you know, the Messiah is going to be a ruler like David. He's going to be a political savior. He's going to save us from the, the boots and swords of, of the Roman oppression. And because of their pre- preconceived ideas and notions, they, they, they can't see God's plan. I think oftentimes our, our own desires and preconceived notions keep us from seeing who God truly is. In fact, I don't believe, I mean, I, I don't believe that Jesus fit any human expectation in his day, and that's why people didn't recognize him as a son of God, they had somebody else in mind. All right, maybe it was like Superman or something. They were expecting Superman. They got a carpenter, and they're like, what's going on? What's happening? We thought he was going to shoot lightning bolts out of his eyes, and he's going to be nine feet tall and crush our enemies and be this awesome king, this superhero. And yet he was just a, a simple carpenter. And it, it says that he had a, a normal appearance, like even his appearance wouldn't attract you to him. But in verse 31, Jesus seems to marvel at their response to, to his announcement of his departure. He says, do you now believe? And I looked that up, and, and this statement actually can be translated, do you now trust me? Do you now trust me? I mean, let's just think about what they've been through. First, they've, they've left their livelihood. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. They, they worked normal jobs. They, they had to leave all that behind to follow Jesus. Some of them, they, they went through the storm, right? When Jesus is sleeping on the boat, the storm comes, and they think they're dying, and they wake up Jesus, and he rebukes the, the wind and waves. They, they saw when there was not enough food to feed the crowds, and, and, and they saw Jesus multiply loaves and fishes, or what about the times when Jesus uh, shared the teaching on eating his flesh and drinking his blood? And the multi- everybody says everybody left. He had thousands of people following him and everybody left. What about that? Or even when, when Jesus was, not, or he was uh, not very popular with the religious leaders, they were actually threatening his life, wanting to stone him. What about sticking by Jesus in that time? If you think about it, they, they've been with him for three years. They've been with him all this time, seeing who he really is. And yet Jesus asked the question, do you now trust me? Only now? Sadly, even Jesus knew they had only little faith. He knows that. He knows that and yet he, complete, he continues to extend and, and work with them. In verse 32, it says, look, an hour is coming and has come. Each of you will be scattered to his own home 
and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So even though they, they make this grand statement, even though they say, oh, now we believe you, right? Now we, now we, now we trust you. Jesus is saying to them, you guys are going to be scattered. You guys are going to ditch me. You know, in, in my hour of greatest need, like, you guys aren't going to be there for me. But you know what? It's okay because I have the Father. I'm never alone. I, I went to Israel a few years ago, and I think for me, one of the most powerful places was the garden, right? The garden of Gethsemane. There's these olive trees there that are thousands of years old. They're, they're gnarly. They're, they look so old. They've, they say that some of these trees could have been, could have been there when, when Jesus was, was praying in the garden. And they, they built this church around a rock where they said Jesus w- was prayed upon, right? And to me, it was like I, when I was there, I was thinking about this, thinking about, you know, oftentimes we think about the agony of the cross and the agony of the scourging, but we don't understand the emotional pain, the emotional agony of knowing what you're going to, knowing what, what, what is ahead of you, and yet your friends, not your servants, but he calls them friends, knowing that, you know, they're just sleeping, right? They've, they're just kind of dawdling off. I mean, can you imagine that? And, and then even knowing that when the soldiers come, that they're just going to leave. I can't, I, I can't fathom that. You know, just what it would have been like in, in the garden. What it would have been like to, to see these, these men who have been with you, who have stood by your side through everything to, to leave you. Because remember, though, Jesus was 100% God. He was also 100% man that he felt deeply. And he understood betrayal. He understood abandonment. And if you've gone through abandonment in your life, if you've had that pain, well, Jesus knows how you feel. And even though we are abandoned, we go through that, we're never alone because God is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us and comforts us. But let us close tonight with a final verse in, in question. In 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. For the next few minutes, uh, talk about this question. How do we remain courageous despite the suffering we experience in the world? And how does knowing that Jesus has overcome the world help us? So let's do that for the next four minutes. Go ahead. So Jesus says, he speaks... I just want to close with this, is you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. I just want to share this last quote with you guys, and, and we'll pray and, and get, get out of here. But something um, I heard, uh, they, I don't know who quoted this, but they said, the Bible is a display of God's victories disguised as failure. I'll say that again. The Bible is a display of God's victories disguised as failures. Think of this, the Old Testament, Israel not failed not just once, but many times. Many times the people went after idols. Many times they went into captivity. Numerous times it, they broke their covenant with Yahweh. It, it seemed like a failure. Look at Jesus' life and ministry, right? The Messiah being crucified and killed. 
to the world, it, it seemed like a failure. You read about the early church, the Corinthians, Revelation. We just went over this stuff. The, the church is struggling, right? They're struggling. They're, they're, some, some of these churches, it, it seems like they're living just like the world. And, and, you're, and you're reading this today and like, wow, like what is going on? Like what was happening? It almost appears that they're failing God. Maybe your life today looks like a failure to the world. Maybe you're, you're barely holding on, you're, you're lost in a, a dense fog, or confused, wrestling, suffering, doubting. And yet even now, God has not left you. The Bible says he still works in you and through you everything for his good purpose. And somehow, some way, God is going to use your life, even with all your failures, even with all your doubts, and even with all your wrestling, to accomplish his good purposes in this world. Because that's what he's done throughout time. Right? He, he finds victory even through failure. Even through people like you and me. And that gives me great, that just gives me great hope. Because you know what? Like, we read the end and we know how it's going to finish. Right? He's coming back. He's coming back and there will be a new earth. There will be a new heaven. A new Jerusalem. God will dwell with his, with his people. We make it in the end. The church endures to the end. Even now, even now in this country, as the church is, seems like it's lost its relevancy, right? It's lost its impact on society. Everybody seems like they're going full, full bore after their passions and, and desires and have kind of left the, their grandparents' faith. And even now, I, I still hope and, and believe, like, you know, God, it's still not over yet. God still has a plan. And so... I hope that encourages you, and let us pray tonight and close. Lord, I I pray for that you give us all grace, Lord, your supernatural power, grace to abound, Lord, over our trials, over our circumstances, Lord, that we wouldn't let the fog, we wouldn't let the confusion, we wouldn't let that stop us, God, that we would keep moving forward, Lord, that we, we would... Uh, open our hearts to you, God, that we would share our, our doubts and share our fears with one another, Lord. And I pray that you would just move this church into, into its purposes, God, that you'd move each person here tonight past this, past their, this fogginess, Lord, and that they would trust you, Lord, that they would hold on to you, God, even in the midst of the trial, Lord. And so we, we thank you for tonight, Lord. I pray that your words would rest upon our heart and be written there, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.